Okay, so I'm here with writer-director Charlie Kaufman, who is the man behind Synecdoche, New York. Charlie, how are you doing? Oh my goodness, this is a lot more energy than I expected. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No problem. Well, let's start with a general question. We'll get into more uh, specific ones about your film in just a sec. It's safe to say that you are an idea man, so I must ask you, to what degree do you worry about an idea? Does your mind brim with more ideas, even correct ideas, than you can possibly use? Are you thinking of ideas right now? Is there a slight sense of panic with any idea? Uh, What is your idea of ideas? Well, this whole question is based on the premise that I am an idea man, which I'm not sure that I agree with, so... um, so I, I, I so when I'm trying to like break down what you asked me and I don't know. I how am I how am I an idea man to turn this around? Well, um, I would argue you, that Ed. this film is late, laced with endless ideas yeah. uh, meshing against each other. Yes, uh, it has a lot of ideas, but the ideas um, came over a two-year period as yeah. I wrote the script. It's not like I was like furiously like you or your girlfriend furiously writing um, 700 pages in two days so that you could read it two days later. Uh, you know, I'm, I mean, it's slow and, and, and sometimes doesn't happen at all for, for long periods of time. So. so it's the impression, I suppose, of being an idea man based on the final output. It's not here. like it happens in real time. Yeah. It's not like there's a two-hour movie and I wrote it in two hours. Okay, well then let's I mean, turn- I think you thought yeah. that before, but oh, it's certainly. not. Yeah, it's okay, not well true. then let's let's talk about let's I mean, turn it what is the actual ratio of you coming up with an idea? Is it one idea every 2.2 days? What's the deal? I, I would say that yeah, if you figure two years maybe it's an idea a week. A day, okay. Yeah. And you have to determine... And this is whether, terribly disappointing for you. I oh, think you no, no, it's a, actually quite interesting. I'm wondering, <laughs> I mean, do you have a certain, uh, over the course of a week, do you determine whether that idea is correct in association with another idea? Uh, is there a kind of idea peer review process that you run across in your mind? I mean, what's the situation here? There is no correct uh, for ideas. Ideas are ideas. And um, if they're interesting to me, then they're interesting to me. And I, I you know, I'm... I'm I don't know what what I don't know what an idea is actually. I, I I think I think I think more in terms of emotions than ideas. Although there are there are conceptual things that I utilize, conceptual things that are devices or or that are interesting to me. But the the meat of the meat of the work for me is the emotional aspect of it. And I don't know if you would consider those ideas or... I think an emotional idea is nevertheless an idea. Okay, we were assuming I, that idea is based entirely on cerebral terms, and I don't think that that's necessarily well, it's, the case. It's, it may just be more the way that you're presenting it. It feels... It feels... When you talk about ideas and how many ideas you come up with... Blah, 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 we're presenting it feels, in statistical data, yeah. It feels very cerebral. <laughs> okay, um, okay. And, and scientific and... and um, so, yes, I, I have emotional ideas. If your ideas which could be either emotional or cerebral, are predicated predominantly on emotional uh, nature, on an emotional nature, then I'm curious as to how you think about these ideas, or do you really think about these ideas? Do they just all mesh in one idea sandwich, or what's the deal? Um, No, there are issues that I deal with, and I'm trying to explore and uh, um, examine and write about. And so I, it's not a kind of a, for me, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not an exercise or it's not a, it's not a game. Although there's some playful things that I'm interested in, but the, but it's more like I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to sort of get past what I would do to impress you 
or impress an audience and um, or show off and just be with what I see as the truth of something at that point in my life. You know, and that, that truth is going to change as I change and as I get older and as I experience different things, the, the, the truth changes and, and, um, and then I try to change with it. And even in the course of writing something, if something takes me two years to write, within those two years, there are a lot of things that happen in my life, a lot of events, and, and I, in order to be honest, um, I try to include those things in some form, not necessarily literally, but in some form, the issues that arise from those, from the, from those experiences get included into the, the larger picture, so that I try to come closer to a complete representation of the world as I see it, which I can never do, but, but the idea is to get closer to it. Okay. Let's present an example of this hypothetical coming closer to an idea with the final product. I know that the original cut of Synecdoche was, in fact, four hours long. And I noticed in this film that there were many shots of clocks. Near the end, we, in fact, see a clock that is graffitied on a brick wall. Now, I'm wondering if this was a, a, an emotional homage to uh, perhaps Elmo Williams in High Noon? How did the clocks come about? Uh, how did the... Uh, well, I, I want to correct one thing. The movie was never four hours long. Okay. It's, it's, it's been, it's, that's been, you know, written about um, inaccurately on, on, and then spread around the internet. What, what, hap- what, what, what that is based on is, by, is based on a, a misunderstanding by a uh, Hollywood reporter, uh, writer, who, um, who was told that the first assembly was uh, four hours long. Um, the first assembly is not a cut of the movie, which I thought he should know. Sure. Um, it is the editor, without even my involvement, putting together the movie as it is scripted, you know, and and he's doing this while I'm shooting the movie, you know, as the movie comes in, he, he puts it together, and then we've got, we've got this thing that we look at, and then you decide what it is that you're going to make the movie. It was never intended to be a four-hour movie. Um, but the initial assembly was, and, and so was the initial assembly on Internal Sunshine, so was the initial assembly on Being John Malkovich. Or any film I mean, for the, that matter, yeah. Most films, they're longer than they're going to be. Um, but that's not a cut. That's not a cut that you show anybody. It's not a cut I'm involved in. It's just, it's, it's, it's taking every aspect of the script that's written and putting it into a form, into a structure. So, okay. Um, the clocks, the, the movie is about, among other things, exploring the idea of time passing and, and the subjective nature of time passing and um, how time seems to speed up um, as I get older. And, um, and obviously the movie is, 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 is marching towards an end, which is death, and that is the clock that's ticking. And so there are allusions to the time passing in the movie. I once walked by a clock that was graffitied on a wall and I looked at it, and in my sort of haste and confusion, I thought I was late based on what time it was on the clock on the wall. And I thought that was really funny um, and stupid, but funny. And so I decided to, to put it in as a, as a thing in the movie. I mean, that's where that idea came from. Um, and that was in the script, and it kind of littered throughout, because we see the clocks also in Caden's house and the like. We shot, well, it was, in, was it in the script? Yeah, I think they were in the script. I mean, we shot them. Some of them we shot, some of the clocks we actually shot um, um, after, after we were finished shooting. So I know I wanted to add more, but, they were, but many of them were shot during, the, during production. So that means that we intended to do it. Uh, but the one at the end was shot 
later. And it also is a significant time at the at the end of the movie on that graffitied clock. So, um, which refers back to another time in the movie. I was also curious about the colors in this film. I mean, the inside of Caden's environment is often blue, and likewise, there's a concern for green. The, not only is there the green goop, of course, the green poo and the like, but Caden uh, is wearing a green shirt at numerous points. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if these colors were there in the script, or did you give free reign to Mark Friedberg or Frederick Elms, or what, ha- what happened? Well, I mean, the, the, the wardrobe and costumes were, um, um, were not Mark's domain. That was Melissa Toth, the, um, the costume designer. But, um, you know, we talked a lot about the palette, and I think the main thing that we were doing um, was trying to um, uh, start out with a, a fairly kind of uh, varied and colorful palette and then move towards a more um, sort of monotone um, look at the end of the movie as he gets closer to death. Um, it becomes grayer, and um, that was that was... The, the larger intent um, as to that he's wearing a green sweater though I don't I didn't pick those things based on any kind of symbolism huh okay you just felt right again the emotional ideas no there. you know it's what happens when you're doing when they're doing the costumes is you know you talk to the, the costume designer and and then she talks to the actor who has an input into what he or she is going to wear and then and then you they come up with selections and you know it has to feel comfortable on for Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman and you know it has to you know, you're looking for you're looking for a look for the character, which is kind of a sort of a, a general overall look. Um, what would this guy wear? What would this guy not wear? Um, and and then the specific colors were not um, coordinated. Um, in I mean, I think if you got to a scene and you saw that everyone's wearing the same color shirt, which if that happened accidentally, you would probably change it. Um, but we we didn't really. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'd have to ask Melissa if she was coordinating within scenes. Because I don't, I don't, I don't, I wasn't. Okay. I wanted to ask about uh, this film. Reminded me very much of Beckett's Act Without Words, particularly Act Without Words One, where you have a man. He comes on stage. He can't leave the stage. He's given and tempted by things like a carafe of water and the like, and soon he is forced to use the two tools that he has at his disposal that separates himself from the lower class of animals, his mind and his hands. And every time he invents, then the tool, such as a scissors or whatnot, gets taken away from him. Uh And this film likewise seems to me uh, a similar predicament with Caden, because uh, here he is being forced to invent in this particular theatrical environment that he is stuck in. And yet, what affects him is not necessarily being, well, it is, in a sense, being on stage. But it's also uh, the act, idea that life forces him to change the, the tools that he's creating. So everything starts from scratch yet again. And I, I have to ask uh, how much Beckett may have been an influence on this. And going back to the initial thrust of this conversation, the idea of emotional ideas, I'm wondering, I mean, certainly with a film this elaborate, it takes a considerable amount of planning and the like. Uh, so I, I can't entirely believe that this film is without, uh, I suppose, a kind of uh, built-in semiotics. Uh, what, what of these two issues? Um. Well, I, I I'm I don't know the act without words. So I, I obviously I mean I I've I've read some Beckett and I and I like it. Um, I I don't I don't intentionally write um, with as an homage or 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 reference other people's work. Um, it's not of interest to me to do that. I'm interested in trying to get closer to who I am. Um, but you know that being said, I. Um, obviously influenced by the things in the culture that 
that I live in. So, um, so um, I mean, I think that what I said before about the process of 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 exploring something and getting older, um, and, and the reason Caden can't finish this play or, or come closer to understanding it is that there's always new information that's thrown in to um, to, to your life at every point, and so you can't you can never make a complete version of anything. You're always gonna there's always gonna be something if you wanna if you wanna do a a, a literal reproduction, which is what he seems to be stuck on doing of the real world then anytime new information or new thoughts or new emotions come into your into your realm they have to be included into into the into the process and it just becomes an ever expanding and never ending thing and so that's what he's up against but that's what everyone's up against um in in trying to in trying to express you know their 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 understanding of 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 life or the world that they live in if you don't consciously go after homage then i'm wondering what you do to buffer uh, the influences of others from your palate when you actually sit I down. I don't, you know. I mean, it's like it's what you do to to do that is like you know, uh, you 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 just try to think about what you're doing and 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 I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be making connections to things that other people have done, a because you've seen them and b because you're a person and they're a person and there's going to be similarities in in your thought processes. But you know, I mean, I I made a point of of trying to look through my work and finding. You know, you, you you can lazily write a scene, and I and I've discussed this before, where you're you're like you know when I'm writing Eternal Sunshine, and I'm sort of writing a scene between, I'm trying to figure out scenes between um, Joel and Clementine, and I write this, and I and it seems really right to me, and it seems like a relationship scene, and then if I look at it closely, I realize this is not uh, anything that I've ever experienced or or have ever seen in a relationship. This is something that I've seen in a movie, and I'm copying it. And I, and when I realize that, I throw it out, and that's what I would do if I if I realized that I was, you know, imitating something that I'd seen in a play by Beckett or anybody else, um, that I would throw it out. That doesn't mean I can't be affected by his stuff and influenced in in my thinking by his philosophy. But but if there's something literally taken from somebody else's work, then it's not it's not I'm not going to use it. And yet there is this literary influence in this film. You have Death of a Salesman, The Trial, and of course Hazel is reading the first part of Proust we see very quickly uh, in this film. And I'm not right. certain how many people caught that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, it is very curious because there is clearly uh, the suggestion of other writers or of sticking this film somewhere within some kind of canon. And I'm wondering why those literary influences actually enter this particular film. Well, um I mean, some of them are accidental, and you know, it's like uh, originally, "Death of a Salesman" was not was not part of the script. I I, I originally had Equus um, as the as the as the play that Caden was doing, and he was going to be doing a very um, sort of um, realistic, gory, violent version of of the play with animatronic horses and and um, you know blood and and uh, and um, we couldn't get the rights to to Equus. They wouldn't let us use it, so. We had to come up with something else, and we, we spent a long time and went through a lot of choices, and we couldn't come up with anything. We finally got the rights to Death of a Salesman, so we used it. And 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 once once I started working with that idea, I realized that it was a kind of a perfect, I mean, play for for my purposes. Maybe better than Equus, but it's serendipitous. It wasn't intentional. Sure. Um, the Proust thing was part of a longer. Um, 
uh, thing that was going on that's been cut from the movie, um, and and I and, and and as well with the Kafka, um, with the trial, it was it was kind of like a way to sort of um, express a, an aspect of Hazel's character that she was sort of this person working in this fairly menial job who was always trying to 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 sort of better herself, you know, to to read these hard books, to read these things that she couldn't. I mean, in 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 the script. She can't get past. She's actually in the script. She's reading Ulysses, oh, okay. and she can't get past the first line. Um, she reads it over and over again, and um, and she has that conversation with Caden. So it's a way for her. She wants to be this other person that she's not. She's also um, she's also wants Caden to like her, and she th- sees him as an intellectual. And so um, a- a- another point in the script. Um, what she says, you know, recommend me something to read, and he recommends the trial. We eventually had to cut those two box office scenes, and there's, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there's, it's implied that when she says, I'm reading the trial, that he's recommended it to her, but you don't know that he has. Yeah. In, the, in, the, in the original version, you would have. So that, that's why those two things are in there. Um, not, you know, not, and other than that, I don't know why I, I, don't know why I chose them. Uh, you know, I like the idea that she's and you and, and that you can see all of the volumes of Proust on her on in her box office. You know, like she's she can't, you know, she can't read these books, but she's going to try. I just I, I found that kind of an endearing characteristic. Well, one last question, yeah. really quickly about the beginning. The end term determines the beginning, as one character says throughout the yeah. film. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask about the uh, the near literalisms. It's there in the title, but it's also there with Caden's uh, dialogue. He talks about Turkey, not the uh, the animal, but the country. There's the discussion in the car about pipes. There's the clarification between neurologist and urologist. Right. There's also the stool in the office versus the stool s- sample. And yet, uh, this leads us to believe that what we're going to be having here is a narrative that involves essentially uh, near literalisms and then this disappears as we go into a crazy crazier involution involving this internal uh, theater and the like and I'm wondering uh, uh, was this a way to essentially either throw the audience off guard or was this a way of or did what happen here over the course of two years you were concentrating on these near literalisms and then it went kind of in this other direction I'm curious about this no I mean you know the truth is that I I I I write I write in a very intuitive way, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, the 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 things that you're referring to were not were not even in my mind. I mean, I thought that I thought that the stool thing was a funny joke, and um, I and I'd noticed the relationship between neurologist and urologist in the way they sounded, and and so I mean, it wasn't like a conscious thing that this is the direction of the screenplay. This is just stuff that I stuck in there. Um, so uh, it's 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 um. It's more. Um, it's 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 not. <laughs> it's not what you want it to be. Well, that's, that's fine. But did you begin the screenplay right when Pinter got the Nobel? Or is yes. It, in I, fact, I the thing with the turkey, um, the I didn't begin the screenplay. But that scene when I was rewriting it, I decided I would write it. Um, I would look at the paper and have everything that happened on that day in the movie. And so, Pinter had won the Nobel Prize. I thought he had died when I saw that the headline. The turkey thing was in that day. It wasn't like a, it wasn't doing a literalism or anything. I was like, I, I thought it was funny, um, so I stuck it in. And it was, and then and that woman who the the, the uh, track athlete had died that day, and I stuck all those three things in. And um, um, and I like the idea of kind of moving from this very sort of real world that you could actually verify the date. Um, that they're referring to in the paper is the actual date. If you went to the New York Times that day, you'd find these articles. Yeah. Um, 
that that amused me, and then t started going from that to the sort of more surreal um, um, uh, examination of of what is doesn't even exist yet because it's the future. Because the movie was written that that scene was written in two thousand and five, and then the movie eventually goes to twenty forty, which doesn't exist. Yeah, and um, and ca and has to be made up. Yeah, and and so that appealed to me. Charlie, I could ask you numerous questions, but thank you so much for thank your time. You. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Pleasure. Thanks. Naughty, 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 naughty